This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host, PWI senior writer Al Castle. Going to be joined in just a moment by my co-host, fellow senior writer uh, Dan Murphy. We got the chat by phone, uh, and we've got a lot of topics to discuss. It's been a busy few weeks in pro wrestling. Uh, we're going to talk a bit about the announcement this past Monday of the first ever WWE Women's Exclusive Pay-Per-View uh, evolution. Obviously, Dan, with his background uh, writing a lot about women's wrestling, the author of Sisterhood of the Squared Circle, uh, he puts together the Female 50 uh, every year, uh, just the right guy to weigh in on uh, the news of the first women's pay-per-view. So we talk about what this means. Is, is this as big a deal as WWE is making it out to be? Uh, what are the prospects of it doing uh, well? What do we expect maybe to see on the show? And uh, a lot more. So a fun discussion. Uh, then we talk about uh, another story that's gotten WWE uh, some headlines in recent weeks. Maybe not favorable headlines all the time. And that's the return of Hulk Hogan, who came back to uh, WWE a couple weeks ago, met with the wrestlers, is is back in the Hall of Fame. I wasn't even aware that he had been taken out of the Hall of Fame. Uh, so we talk a bit about WWE's handling from a PR perspective of Hulk Hogan's return, uh, what they did right, what they did wrong, um, and how they should handle it going forward, and what it could mean, what what the return of a 60-something-year-old Hulk Hogan to WWE uh, could mean. So uh, check that out. Uh, and then afterwards, we got an interview uh, I recorded uh, some time back, actually, for the current issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated with uh, one of the biggest names in the uh, independent wrestling scene and somebody who has been in the news uh, in particular as of late, uh, Matt Riddle. Uh, lots of rumors swirling around about where Matt is going to turn up. Uh, he was recently uh, pulled from the Battle of Los Angeles, which is fueling a lot of rumors that he might be WWE-bound. Uh, before that, I got to talk to him for a feature in the current issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazine uh, about MMA fighters turned pro wrestlers. So he gives his thoughts on making that transition, the the similarities and differences uh, of the two. Uh, a fun talk and certainly timely. Wanted to, to do this before maybe it would become particularly out of date if he uh, does end up maybe on the NXT roster. So uh, a real fun discussion with a real interesting guy. Uh, check it out. Speaking of the current issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, it is the October issue. It's got Brock Lesnar on the cover. Um, and uh, that's because there's a big feature inside that I helped put together about uh, the best matches of each SummerSlam for the f uh, first 30 years. And frankly, Brock Lesnar was in a whole lot of them. And uh, it'll be interesting to see now that we know uh, one of the main events of this year's uh, SummerSlam, Brock once again facing off with Roman Reigns, whether he could keep that streak going of really putting on sensational performances at SummerSlam. Uh, but we look back all the way to 1988, the first SummerSlam, and uh, give you some insight on the best match on each card. In some cases, those matches were really, really something special. You're talking about some of the best matches in the history of WWE. And in some case, uh, some cases... The best match on the show, frankly, wasn't even all that that great because uh, there ha there have been some dud uh, SummerSlams over the years. So that was uh, fun putting together. I got a lot in this issue. Uh, also got a fun chat with uh, WWE Cruiserweight Champion Cedric Alexander for this month's hot seat. As I mentioned, my feature on uh, MMA stars turned pro wrestlers. 
and uh, a lot more. This issue is kind of in between our uh, big kind of tentpole issues with uh, the PWI 500, which is coming up uh, after this one. And we've just got done with a bunch of other projects. So there was uh, a lot of space in this issue to to uh, work on some features and do some things that, that sometimes you don't have space to do. So you should definitely check it out. Uh, again, what else is in here? There, there's a fun feature on uh, Tommy Dreamer and his House of Hardcore. Um, there is a really, really beautiful collection of covers uh, featuring Bruno San Martino, our, our kind of tribute to uh, the passing of Bruno. And uh, we've got, how many is it? Uh, 25 covers uh, from our magazines over the years that he was featured on. A little bit of background on the stories of each of them. Uh, really, if you're, if you're an old school wrestling fan, a Bruno fan, definitely worth checking out and uh, much, much more. So what you want to do is go to pwi-online.com. You can pick up the one issue. You could subscribe um, both to the print edition and the digital edition. You can get up to half off uh, the cover price by subscribing. The digital edition is uh, customized for your mobile device, your laptop, really looks fantastic. And you also get it a few weeks early. Uh, and as I mentioned, the issue right after this one is the PWI 500. I think we're just putting the finishing touches on it right now. I expect uh, you're going to be hearing a lot about it from various uh, news outlets in the coming weeks. Uh, the, whoever we pick number one is always a fairly big story, and I think um, that's certainly going to be the case uh, this year. Certainly uh, uh, going to be a newsworthy PWI 500. If you want to be the first to have it in your hand or on your, your phone or on your laptop, again, the thing to do is to go to pwi-online.com. And uh, while you've got the computer open there, uh, please follow us on Twitter at OfficialPWI. You can find us on Facebook. You can send us an email here, PWIPodcast at Outlook.com. Uh, if you subscribe on iTunes to the, the podcast, uh, we'll do that. And, and please um, leave us a positive review. We sincerely appreciate it. We are coming up on our 100th episode in just a couple episodes. I think this one is maybe 97 or 98. So we're right up against it. And uh, it's been a whole lot of fun. All right, uh, now uh, joined by Dan Murphy. Dan, uh, always looking forward to talking to you this time, maybe in, in particular, because I think you're one of the more, more, more uh, knowledgeable authorities on the topic of women's wrestling and a very big announcement this week in the world of women's wrestling with the announcement of Evolution, the first ever WWE all-women's uh, pay-per-view coming in October. Particularly cool for me because it's right in my backyard here on Long Island, um, so I hope to be able to check it out uh, in person. I uh, wanted to get your thoughts. Uh, frankly, watching it uh, w with my kids and my family and seeing the, the whole roster up on the stage and Vince McMahon in the ring, um, I thought, uh, I initially thought because there were the rumors that, that that was going to be the announcement, but then, then seeing that kind of buildup, I thought maybe it's something else because, uh, frankly, it felt a, a little bit much, maybe a, a little overblown for what they were about to uh, announce. But, uh, you know, it's basically nitpicking because, they're promoters and they're in the business of pumping things up. So I think it's good that they, they did make, make as big a deal um, as they did. But um, what are your thoughts? I mean, is, is this as big a deal as they made it? Well, it, it's definitely a step in the right direction, and it is a big deal. Um, WWE is making a mistake of jumping in and trying to promote things rather than let them organically happen. And that's been something they've been guilty of really for the past several years. Uh, you can look at the Roman Reigns push. You can look at other things. The company chooses the direction they want to go in, and they kind of steamroll. And even if it's the right direction to go, their handling of it can be so clumsy that it can turn people off. 
And I think that's what happened with this. I think that the all women's pay-per-view, it's, it's way overdue. It, it should have happened a few years back. Uh, and it's a great thing. It's a great opportunity for the women on the roster. It's even good for the men on the roster to give them a, a little bit of a break and, and not, you know, have a, a day off theoretically. Um, but when the company begins with uh, Vincent Mann center ring and Triple H and Stephanie McMahon and kind of self-congratulatory patting themselves on the back for being 40 years behind the trend and finally recognizing that, you know, or 200 years, if you want to really go through it and say, you know, Hey, Women are equal to men. Hey, we, we finally figured that out. Everybody look at us. Congratulations. Um, the self-congratulatory aspect was, was kind of a turnoff. But again, I think it's a, a great thing for WWE and a great thing for wrestling. Um, but somebody online had, had made a remark along the lines of, you know, they were the ones who put these strictures against women to begin with. It was Vince who did the brawn panties matches. It was Vince who was giving the women three minutes doing the diva searches and everything else. And, and for WWE to all of a sudden paint himself as this very progressive company is, is an attempt to kind of whitewash uh, history. So uh, it, it's a good move, but uh, could have been handled a lot better. Yeah, and you say that it, it's uh, years overdue. Frankly, I don't know that they would have done it a few years ago. You know, the shorthand is this is the first women's pay-per-view. Uh, but the reality is actual pay-per-view is a very small part of WWE's business right now. The, the vast majority of fans are watching this on the WWE Network, often for free. And I wonder if, if this was true pay-per-view, where they were living and dying on the buy rate, whether they tried this at all, because there's, there's sort of no risk to it. I mean, you put it on, it's going to get the audience that, that it gets. Uh, I, I don't think they're good about reporting numbers, so I don't know that we'll ever really be able to know how many people tuned in or not. So they get kind of the the good PR rub of of promoting this all women's pay-per-view without much risk, right? Yeah, that is true. And it would have been interesting if they had done this as a freestanding pay-per-view with the older model. So you could really see the buy rates and, and really gauge the public perception of, of women's wrestling. Um, because it is, and I am a, a big proponent of women's wrestling. Obviously, I did the book on it. I've kind of overseen the female 50 for the past 10 years, and I'm working on that. A bigger and, and better issue of that um, is coming up in a couple months, so I'm kind of knee-deep in that already. So, yeah, it, it's something I'm a, a big fan of and proponent of. But without having those old metrics of pay-per-view buys or even really kind of the quarter-hour um, ratings where they're going up against another wrestling show. So it's, you have some kind of barometer for where the ratings are, are moving and whether people are turning and, and, and tuning in. It, it is tough, but I think that it would have been, I think the curiosity and the athleticism of the women that they've got could have made this a success, even in the old model. I think that there are fans out there. I think they would pay to see a women's only show provided that the storylines were compelling, provided that you had good matches on top. If this was two or three years ago and you had uh, Charlotte against Sasha Banks on top, yeah, that, that could be the main event that could really um, push a traditional women's-only pay-per-view. Now, with Alexa Bliss and Carmella and kind of Nia Jax in the periphery and Asuka really just being terribly mismanaged since WrestleMania – and Ronda Rousey being a, a huge draw, but only on a part-time basis, it gets a little bit tougher. Plus, the, the bungling of the whole Bailey Sasha, are they friends, are they enemies, are they lovers? They even teased that a couple weeks ago. 
uh, they're all over the place when it comes to the women's storylines and just throwing it out there as, hey, it's a women's pay-per-view. If you support women, you really should be behind it is kind of a little bit ham-fisted. Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, Ronda Rousey makes all the difference here. I imagine she will be in a very important match. I imagine it's the main event. I imagine the, the women's title will be on, on the line, either her uh, defending it, coming off of uh, SummerSlam, potentially winning it there, or maybe she doesn't quite make it uh, in SummerSlam. You know, it, it eludes her. And then uh, some kind of stipulation rematch where she finally wins it here. Um, all that said, I, I think I do think it's, it's a good thing that they're doing it. Um, uh, you know, and and the time is right for all the reasons you said. I'm not convinced that it's going to. And again, we'll never know. We'll never know what the audience is for it. But uh, I just say I'd say I'm not convinced that the audience for this is as big as uh, some might lead you to to believe. The, the reality is, I think for a lot of fans, frankly, myself included, along, uh, a lot of the time, the women's match on a card, uh, certainly if I'm, I'm going live, is still the bathroom break match. Now, that varies a lot depending on who those women are. Uh, but outside of, of those elite top workers, of which there are a, a handful, you know, uh, a Sasha and uh, maybe to a lesser extent, Bailey and uh, Becky Lynch and Charlotte uh, and a, a couple others, the, the drop-off in skill is quite a bit. Now, I understand that um, they're going to, uh, I believe, include NXT's women, which will give them a big boost in terms of flushing out uh, a three- or maybe four-hour pay-per-view, that that's the trend they've been in on. Um, but inevitably, right, you're going to have the um, the – I shouldn't even single anybody out. You're, you're going to have yeah, you a lot of matches you don't with, with women who are not nearly as, as, as um, uh, I don't want to say talented, but as entertaining uh, yeah, in the ring. And so, yeah, again, the three-hour you don't want to fill it out. Some right, you don't want to pat it all out with Dana Brooke and and uh, Alicia Fox and others who, who just are not that good. I mean, this is you – know, that's the other thing. I, I talk about the female 50 that we do and, and – and, uh, we have some kind of uh, big surprises with this year, so I can't get into during a podcast. But as I'm beginning to put together the list, it, it's so kind of frustrating because there are women who are on the WWE roster, like, say, Alicia Fox and Dana Brooke, who have not made the female 50. They didn't make it last year or the year before. And I think Alicia may have made it once several years back. But here are women who have the, these valuable roster spots in WWE. And then you look at all the other women out there as you're putting together to the female 50, internationally, on the independents, in impact, um, just outside of the WWE. And you realize that there are hundreds? Well, certainly more than 100. I, I don't know if there's necessarily hundreds, uh, but dozens, more than 100, of, of women who are just as talented, if not more so, who just don't have those spots. And how do you kind of rank, uh, for example, those women who have those spots where everybody else would, would gladly trade spots with them, but they're just such a bathroom break in the way that they are presented in WWE. Um, so in other hands, they have the golden ticket. They, they've got that spot on the roster and the fans are not interested. Whereas women who are so much more talented are killing themselves for that spot and, and just can't get in. Now, if WWE builds that pay-per-view around compelling storylines and great wrestlers, fine. It, it can sell just as well as, as the men's pay-per-views and the mixed pay-per-views, the current pay-per-views that they have. 
But if it's just an extended version of a women's episode of Raw or a women's episode of SmackDown where you have kind of tag team matches that don't make any sense, you have people thrown in there without any kind of feuds or rivalries or anything going on. I think it's, about it's uh, be, Yeah, I think about do you remember uh, ECW December to Dismember, which was the, the ECW the WWE's ECW brand yes. um pay per view. And uh they they literally promoted one match um and then had to flesh out the other whatever two and a half hours. Uh and I, I don't expect that's what this is gonna be, but reality is week in week out right they're, they're still going to be telling their regular stories with a a majority male roster um and yet be building toward an all-women's pay-per-view so um you know fair to say i'm a little uneasy about how how they pull this off and i'd love to be you know not even proven wrong because i'm not betting against them uh but but i'd love to be pleasantly surprised in, in the execution of this well, the other thing that I think is going to be interesting to see with this is uh, really I kind of see this as a test balloon because right now I would say that the presumptive main event for WrestleMania next year is uh, Ronda Rousey versus Charlotte. Um, I main think event? The, the first main event. Main event. Eh, I don't um, see that. Because for me, it, it's the biggest marquee matchup. Ronda Rousey is their biggest star. Maybe Ronda versus Rousey right, right now. <laughs> yeah. That's what we uh that would be actually, uh, yeah, I could see that happening. But I think that that is, and I know that's been under conversation. It's been discussed. Uh, there's still a lot of people who don't think that. But, I mean, Roman Reigns is dead in the water. He's just got no momentum, whether he gets the belt or not. I know Braun Strowman is kind of the rising guy, but it's not like there's a Steve Austin or Rock swell of popularity behind him either. He's just kind of the, the non-tragic alternative. Well, he's not... He's not Bobby Lashley, and he's not uh, Roman Reigns. He's not Brock Lesnar, so I guess he's good enough. But Ronda Rousey is the one. I, I was at Raw in Buffalo a couple weeks ago, and, and this has happened to me a handful of times at WWE events uh, where I got goosebumps, where I just sitting there, somebody came out, and I got goosebumps. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time seeing the Y family come out with all the fireflies, I got it. Daniel Bryan in the height of the, the, the Yes movement. Hogan back in 87. Uh, Austin, never even The Rock. But when Ronda Rousey made her entrance through the crowd, even though not much happened, the reaction she got and the presence and the aura that she gave off gave me the, the legitimate, that's a superstar goosebumps. Yeah. And no one else in WWE does that. Uh, so I yeah. think that there's a possibility that that will be the headlining match at WrestleMania unless this pay-per-view tanks and it goes over like a fart in church and nobody, you know, then, okay, now we have to go and, and, and kind of reconsider. But if uh, Rhonda and, and, and or Charlotte, especially Rhonda, if she shows the star power to carry this pay-per-view, I expect her to be in the main event next year's WrestleMania. Yeah. It, it's amazing how far Rhonda uh, has come. And, and only a handful of matches were a few months ago. Uh, you and I, and, and you had more confidence than I did, and I think a lot of the wrestling community there was this nervousness about putting Ronda in the ring, you know, like, oh boy, this could this could be really be bad. And in just a few months, um, it, it's fair to say that people have more confidence uh, in her and her ability to perform than most of the other women on on the roster. You know, when Ronda comes out, there's almost a an, an exhale. We're like, all right, this should be good. Um, she's that good already, and and it's not just about the work in the ring; it's about the the, the little things. 
Um, when she hasn't been good, uh, it's when WWE, I think, has micromanaged and have their fingerprint. You remember there was that really disastrous stint uh, uh, on commentary during a match where she was repeating lines and, and all this stuff, and it, it felt like she was overproduced there. And where Ronda has really tried, um, it feels like it's when she's sort of left alone and really gets to be Ronda. And um, it, it comes through and right. I mean, I, I really uh, wasn't sure how much, if at all, the star power she had in UFC in her prime would translate to WWE. And uh, maybe it's not all there, uh, certainly not in terms of, of mainstream popularity, but among WWE fans, uh, I think I think you nailed it. I mean, I think she's about the biggest star uh, in, in the company right now, and, and that's really saying something. So, uh, yeah, I don't know that they do this at another time. They don't have Ronda, and I think a lot of it is going to uh, rest on Ronda's shoulders. But how do you flesh out this card? There, there's talk of um, maybe a women's uh, tag team championship, maybe do a tournament that culminates with the finals there, the May Young uh, Classic uh, uh, finale for, for the second year. Uh, I imagine an NXT women's title match, a, both the, the Raw and SmackDown women's title matches, maybe finally some kind of uh, culmination of the, the Bailey-Sasha feud. So do you think there's enough there to, to flesh out, not just in terms of time, a, a three-and-a-half-hour show, but a solid three-and-a-half-hour show? There is the raw ingredients, um, but it's a matter of, you know, you have to play them out. I mean, okay, the, the finals of the Young Classic, okay, there's there's an interest level there for that. If they introduce tag team titles, um, I would hate to see it, but it looks like that is probably the direction they're going to go. If they're going to do a tag team title, I, mean, I think the more titles you have in wrestling, the more it diminishes all of them and makes them all unnecessary. I hate the brand extension. I hate having two separate champions. I hate having two separate women's champions. I, I, it's just water. If you're going to do that, then have it, there a women's only TV show where they can be t- defended on that. And, and it, it, it's, it's not just kind of having another set of titles just for sake of having another championship on Raw or SmackDown. Uh, but that being said, to build in the pay-per-view, like any pay-per-view, you need to build storylines and those need to be developed every week on TV building up to that event. So if WWE really wants to go to use a a term all in on his women's pay-per-view, they're going to have to designate at least 30 to 45 minutes of every weekly show to build the storylines, to make it compelling enough for that pay-per-view. They need to begin to set up rivalries. They need to give them reasons to have matches and if they don't, if they're just thinking, hey, the novelty of a women's pay-per-view is going to carry the show, it, it's going to be a disappointment. But if they yeah. really give anything, the advanced build-up and the storylines and the time to develop, um, then I, I think it can succeed and will succeed. Yeah. Here's another question about the timing. Do you think this show happens uh, if it were not for the whole kind of PR disaster uh, in Saudi Arabia where the women weren't allowed on the show? Yeah, I think it would still happen. I think that this was something that was under consideration. Uh, Two years ago at the Cauliflower Alley Club, and and to come promote my book, uh, Sisterhood of the Squared Circle, The History of Women's Wrestling, uh, Pat LaFrod, my co-author, and I did a a, a panel discussion. Uh, We had Malaya Hosaka, Santana Garrett, uh, Chelsea Diamond, and I'm forgetting somebody else. Oh, Trulia Melissa, up on stage, and we did an hour-and-a-half-long panel discussion about the 
women's wrestling, where is it going, basically? And uh, we, one of the questions was, do we ever think that uh, WWE will headline a pay-per-view with a women's match? And all the women on the panel were pretty positive that it would happen, and the crowd was kind of mixed on it. You know, people didn't really think, well, less than a year later, it, it happened. And we also talked about, can we ever see women headline WrestleMania? And that's kind of a rumor. It's under consideration now. I think that you could have seen the science that it was all building to this. Where WWE was coming on board, they realized that women could be profitable. There's a very talented, uh, a pool of talented women out there. And I think the momentum was already underway. The Saudi Arabia show was a little bit of a kind of hiccup, but I, I think we would have gotten to this point regardless. I, I think that yeah. you could already see it beginning to happen a couple of years back. Yeah. Well, on the topic of uh, public relations disasters for WWE, let's talk about Hulk Hogan uh, a little bit. Uh, a couple weeks ago, he, he made his uh, return, uh, showed up in Pittsburgh, I believe it was, for Extreme Rules, um, had a, a talk backstage with WWE roster where he uh, apologized, as, as it were. Um, different people, I guess, had different thoughts on, on the, the sincerity uh, of, of the apology. Uh, but it, it looks like he's back, apparently back in, in the Hall of Fame, and I imagine maybe not too long before we see him uh, on TV. Uh, I, I was pretty surprised, given the the time that they had to figure out how to handle this gracefully, how kind of uh, ungraceful uh, this was. You know, the, the, and we don't know what he said in there. What we have is some accounts from, from wrestlers who were uh, part of the meeting, but the, it sounds like his apology focused um, or, or at least addressed this notion of he didn't know he was being recorded. And uh, it seems like a lot of the apologies have been couched in, I'm, I'm sorry to those who were offended uh, kind of thing, which I, I don't think, and let's put aside here, the, the right and wrong thing to do, the, the, the morally correct thing to do, and just talk in terms of uh, a PR and how this is handled. Um, I, I, I think this is handled pretty poorly. I mean, I, I thought, again, given how much time they've had to deal with this and, and the fact that Hogan is still uh, uh, kind of a sentimental favorite a lot, uh, among a lot of people. And even more so after the whole Gawker, Gawker uh, uh, debacle, I, I thought they would handle this better. I mean, I thought he would be out there talking about, and, and we, we don't know what, what he's going to say publicly yet. Right. So that apology hasn't come yet, but you would expect more contrition, more, uh, self-reflection, talking about how how he's grown as a person, how the person he is now is not the person who said those those awful things years ago, uh, and not I didn't know I was going to be uh, recorded. That said, uh, maybe in in terms of of uh, passing on some some wisdom and some lessons to the WWE locker room, maybe the most important thing he can he can say was that, which is always assume you're being recorded, because how many times have we seen other wrestlers of of um, all different kinds of generations uh, slip up because maybe an unflattering photo makes it to the web or a video or a remark. So it, it's not that there isn't um, real value and a lesson in, in what he said. Um, but in terms of public relations, I think it looks really bad. It does. Yeah, you're right. Um, I mean, I can understand WWE is just this weird breed. I mean, it, it's a, a publicly traded company, it's a corporation, it's got that corporate mentality, but its roots are in pro wrestling, which is traditionally secretive and maintaining kayfabe and not letting outsiders in and handling business your own way. 
And, and McMahon tries to have it, WWE, I should say, tries to have it both ways. Um, in the older days, okay, having a guy coming back to address the locker okay, I mean, that makes sense. Try to make good with everybody and get everybody on the same page. Hopefully win over the ones you can. At least explain yourself and, and be able to be cordial with other people in the locker room. That works on that level. For a big billion-dollar corporation, it's really kind of dumb. Um, I mean, you could have the opportunity to have Hogan on, you know, meet with everybody backstage, give a little speech. Um, you don't want to tape it because you want it to be genuine. You want it to be heartfelt. But make sure that he is being conciliatory and, and not just, hey, you know, I, I'm really sorry I got caught, you know, which yep. is kind of what the apology was. But then have him go out on TV and, and do something, whether it's a sit-down interview, whether it's something – I mean, you've got this opportunity to really, it doesn't even have to be live. It doesn't have to be in the ring where you can risk the crowd turning on it and turning it bad. But you do something backstage, even a pre-taped bit, and say, listen, you know, we all make mistakes, and uh, that's not an excuse, but I, I really want the best for everybody. And uh, I'm back here. And maybe with some of my Gawker money, I'm going to donate it to certain charities, whatever. Like, I mean, th there are so many more by the book ways that a real corporation would handle that, except it's WWE. So they just do kind of a carny apology. Hogan doesn't appear on TV, doesn't appear at Raw the next night. Nobody knows what's going on. Titus O'Neil and New Day are calling him out on Twitter. So it's just a mess. And it's a yeah. completely avoidable mess with any other corporation that doesn't have its roots in the, the kayfabe world. Yeah. I mean, to have your, your African-American wrestlers going public with statements that, maybe aren't condemning Hogan, but make it clear that they're not on the same page about this. Uh, that, that's really something that needed to be taken care of beforehand, you know, um, yes. and, uh, and really a lack of foresight that they let it get to that point. Um, and, and the heat shouldn't be on the heat shouldn't be on the African-American wrestlers who did that, or even regardless of ethnicity, the heat shouldn't be on whoever comes out and says, I don't like the way this went down. The heat should be on the company for having a situation where you brought him in, he addressed everything. It's a closed-door situation. Um, either you get everything resolved at that point or you have kind of a gag order on it. Hey, this is an internal PR or an internal uh, HR issue. Um, we want to work this out. Please, you know, don't make comments in the press. And if, you have any, if you're unhappy with this, let's raise this and have the conversation now, you know, so it's not going out on Twitter and, and creating all the speculation. They couldn't yeah. handle a lot more professionally. And, and there's still time, right? I mean, it, it very much no, feels like he hasn't played. It's, it's full card yet. I mean, they're, they're it, still it hasn't really gone but, public. But again, you know, it, it's imagine taking a, a tube of, of toothpaste and squirting it all on a, on yeah. a plate right. and then trying to put it back into the tube. It, you know, you can't do that. They had the opportunity to do it right the first time. Now it's out and now they have to kind of fix it and they've got a mess on their hands. It's never going to be as good as it could have been. Well, yeah. a little bit of foresight and planning. And it was obviously, you know, anyone could have seen this happening, but they, they rushed through and for whatever reason, it, it all kind of, you know, they, they fell into the, way, the, uh, the pothole. Yeah, yeah. There should have been a more coordinated uh, plan to roll out Hogan's um, return, uh, anticipating a lot of this could have happened. Uh, right, because now they, they go back. And, and look, I mean, new cycles being – what they are. I, I, I don't expect this to be a particularly big deal. It's not something that they can't clean up relatively easy if, if they wanted to. 
but but it does feel a little floppy. Now whatever they do feels like kind of damage control because they they blew it right out of the gate. Um, that kind of thing. Let, let me ask you: Is this even worth it? I mean, is, is does Hogan still carry enough value to make dealing with all this and potential backlash from sponsors and and again your African American wrestlers being out there? raising some some serious concerns and, and issues that I'm sure WWE would not like, would prefer not discussed in the public. Is it all worth it for a, whatever he is, 65-year-old Hulk Hogan? It depends on what WWE is looking to for the future. Um, he, certainly, I mean, he's not going to be a, a factor in the ring. Uh, a goodwill ambassador, um, maybe an authority figure on one of the brands for a short period of time. But is he the guy you want as your as your goodwill ambassador? No, he, he's, he's the not the guy I would want. But he might be the guy that if they want to do more acting movie, you know, more movie roles, you can have him and and not even necessarily carrying a movie, but he can be a face in Hollywood. He's recognizable. Uh, he's certainly more recognizable in Triple H or, or anyone else on the roster right now, for good or for bad. Um, but he could be the guy if WWE wants to do a new reality show on the WWE network, like a, a new Hogan knows best, you know, I mean, there's value that, that you can wring out of Hulk Hogan. Um, but definitely not as a traditional pro wrestler anymore as some kind of ambassador or bigger than life personality that, that you can milk, but you know, yeah, uh, I, I think it speaks. Um, one of the issues here is kind of the generational differences not just in wrestling, but, but in technology and things like that, where uh, 30 years ago, it didn't matter who the real person was, right? You you could put, and, and I'm not passing judgment about the, the real person that Hulk Hogan is, but anybody, you could put, you know, the ultimate word that was a lot of this and, and, and a lot of, you know, so-called, you know, good guys, uh, private lives that were uh, a lot more controversial and, and people who were a lot more complicated than their, you know, Baby kissing, good guy, American flag waving, uh, a public persona, uh, and you could keep the two separated uh, more, right? Because there there wasn't social media, and not everybody was armed with a camera or some kind of recording device at all at all times. That regardless of who, who the real Hulk Hogan was, you can uh, it, it, it was easier to sell the public that the real Hulk Hogan was. Again, the the good guy who was out, you know, meeting troops in in uh, Iraq and uh, visiting kids' hospitals and and all that stuff, and, and that really was a terrible way of doing that. I don't want to shorten that, but clearly there was a lot of that was was PR and and knowing a lot uh, that that we do about Hulk Hogan's personal life, a lot of it having come out in the last several years, and some of it even even before that with the whole steroid scandal in the '90s, but in between. You know the the, the bubble the love sponge sex tape disaster and the, the the racist comments and a bunch of other stuff the stuff with his kid in in the, the car accident uh, and all that stuff I I think there is a a generation or several generations uh, of fans that that don't not that they don't look at they they not that they look negatively at Hulk Hogan but they don't see him at all. Uh, the, the way we did, right? I mean, he, I, I think much of the American public doesn't think of Hulk Hogan as a particularly good guy, right? Um, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Yeah, a, a paragon of virtue. They see him as this kind of overgrown child with a do-rag on the Harley who knows to run off his mouth and, and say some pretty awful things. Um, so, 
it, it, it's interesting. I mean, it sort of speaks to how much harder it is to, you know, and, and it, it's, uh, it's another reason to really give credit to guys like John Cena who have been able to keep their nose clean as long as they have, despite all this. And he's had his little issues too with, with, uh, Nikki Bella and all that, but doesn't have scandals. You know, it kind of reminds me of, of Derek Jeter, you know, and, and you know, I grew up a, a Yankee for the Bronx and, and, uh, Derek Jeter, who was, uh, this great looking guy, tons of money, super talented, super popular, you know, was out there with his share of women, all that, but always kept his nose clean, right? I mean, and, and said very little, always when he talked to the press, always said the right things, was very measured and, uh, retired with a fantastic reputation. Um, and yeah. it's almost the anti Hulk Hogan, you know, that, uh, you know, the, the, the public image aside, every time the public has gotten a glimpse into the, the private Hulk Hogan, it's been pretty unflattering. You know, I think that what, what this really shows is that in WWE's uh, opinion, uh, really, it, it has to look like it's easier to restore the, the integrity or the reputation of a star from yesteryear than to build up somebody today. Um, Hogan at one point was larger than life and WWE is willing to gamble and try to work with him to do whatever goodwill ambassador DVD series, you know, best of whatever they can do, because obviously they're bringing them on board because they, they have something in mind. They, they see some money there and they're rather, they're more comfortable making that kind of risky investment than really kind of investing in somebody in the current roster. Um, you know, because, in, because they've tried. And the only person who's really gotten over that the two people who've gotten over the most in the past five years are CM Punk and Daniel Bryan. Um, and everybody that you've tried to strap a rocket ship to has, has kind of fizzled and, and been a dud. I mean, the jury's not completely in on uh, Braun Strowman, but for the most part, WWE has really struggled to build anyone up to that point. So, yeah, recycle. I mean, there aren't a lot of guys from the 80s and 90s left. And... uh you know, if you can get a, a Hogan and restore his his reputation a little bit, and, and you know, make him a, a, a kind of cornerstone of your promotional efforts, then go for it. You know. Yeah, yeah, no, right, and, and I agree. I I, um, I don't have a problem with Hogan being um, brought back in in the right context in, in the right role. Um, I think he finally got to a point with like their their Hall of Fame that they they made nice with most of their enemies. Uh, Bruno and Savage and and all of them, so everybody's kind of back in the fold, and it's nice for them to be able to own their history that way, um, w- without you know kind of the ugly stuff that that they deal with with Chris Benoit, which I don't think they will ever you know uh, uh, kind of reinvite in this way even uh, posthumously. But and and I'm fine with that. I mean, Chris Benoit should be erased from from their uh, annals, but. It, it is troublesome when Hulk Hogan, who is a huge part of their identity, they have to avoid every film clip, every video clip. You can't acknowledge him in the Hall of Fame. That That is kind of a headache that if there's a way to remedy, they, they should. Um, that said, I don't know that that means in the other extreme, now going out and, and, and putting Hulk Hogan out in front of investors and, and uh, doing the, the, the PR campaign and all that stuff. That might be a bit much, and, and it might not be worth it if, if he gets asked the wrong question by the wrong reporter. So I think it's fine that he's back in the fold. I think they should use him very strategically and, and carefully, um, I, you know, whether it's a, an in-ring appearance. I don't even know that he's the right fit for 
an, an on-air regular job authority figure. I think he's a guy who pops up from time to time in in some role uh, somehow. Uh, and and frankly, kind of the the less the better, I think, uh, with that. So, but but I'm I'm not naive about particularly his generation, how people viewed the world and certain groups and uh, and all that. So I, when he says and expresses some resentment about having been recorded, I, I think some of the subtext there is everybody talks this way. That's how he feels among and, and among his circle, uh, his age group, his uh, friends, where he's from. There's probably something to that. I mean, he wouldn't be speaking that way if he didn't think there was a receptive audience to it. So I think to him, it's sort of like, oh, come on, give me a break, you know, uh, that kind of thing. So and, what, and, we need, what, what we need is Matt Hardy to take him under his wing and have Woke <laughs> Hogan. Like he's woke. He's woke. <laughs> and he comes back and he's, yeah. And he's, he's like, you know, equality, yeah, brother. Like you're all my brothers. <laughs> oh, it'd be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, Hogan. So, do you think we see him at, uh, at WrestleMania in some capacity? Yeah, I, I, well, you know, I, I wouldn't, probably, you'll probably see him at WrestleMania, but the thing is, there's some excitement about him now, because there's a novelty. WrestleMania is going to be WrestleMania. It's going to, it's going to be a capacity crowd. It's going to be 12 hours long. It's going to be whatever. <laughs> like, you don't need him at that. Like, get him for SummerSlam, I mean, right now the, the the programs are so dull and so by the book and methodical, and nothing exciting ever happens. Why not bring Hogan back for a Raw appearance or even a SmackDown appearance? Just something to kind of shake things up a little bit and remind people that these shows are worth watching, uh, and not just you know reading recaps or DVRing and, and you know flying through the whole thing in, in seven or eight minutes. Um, so yeah, maybe he'll be at WrestleMania, but I, I think they're there's a bigger bang for their buck using somewhere before that. He, he comes out on Raw this Monday night, walks with the audience, Real American uh, plays. What is the audience's reaction? They go nuts. Yeah. Absolute madhouse. Now, admittedly, once the, the nostalgia pop dies down a little bit, there may be, it depends what he does. If he gets in the ring and he cuts a long one in promo, all right, well, now it's, you know, it's law of diminishing returns. But I'll tell you that at Raw in Buffalo, so the night after Extreme Rules, there were dozens of, of Hulk Hogan signs in the audience or people dressed like Hogan. Everybody had heard that he was backstage at Extreme Rules, and they were all hoping that he would show up and, and raw, and nothing. You know, so, and people were already kind of just waiting and waiting for the big, you know, something's going to happen. And, you know, it's Bobby Lashley wins and Roman Reigns wins, and we're going back to uh, Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar. Okay. Yeah. You know, yeah, so yeah. you had all the excitement coming into the show and then people leaving like, man, I could have done so many other things with my night. And, and that's what I got. So. Yeah. The, the, the flip side of this is that WWE has got to be mindful not to make too much about um, some of the critics and people who are, are maybe complaining about him being brought back and that kind of thing. Because I think as you touched on, probably the vast majority of people are going to be uh, uh, pretty excited about this, pretty, pretty high in it among their fan base. Uh, so, WWE could play it wrong by focusing too much attention on, on all this controversy, right? And and not just sort of letting, you know, I think about the, the other day, uh, somebody was drinking a Pepsi uh, uh, somewhere, and on the side of the Pepsi is a, a picture of Michael Jackson. 
and apparently it's it's some kind of I don't know it's an anniversary some kind of tribute to '80s pop stars or something, but it blew my mind. I mean, this guy just a few years ago was was embroiled in this horrific child sex scandal. Granted, uh, uh, never convicted anything like that, but this is a guy who um, there there was a, a, a certainly never exonerated, and there was a lot of evidence at the very least. This, this was a guy who um, you know maybe didn't deserve hero worship. And yet, uh, these years later, since his passing, he, he, he's still celebrated by as, as large uh, an American corporation, as an iconic American corporation, uh, as Pepsi. And I think, and, and there are tours, Michael Jackson live tours. So Michael Jackson's brand is, is pretty clean, pretty, pretty, uh, unblemished despite all that horrible stuff. Um, so, Maybe there's a lesson to be learned there, right? I mean, I don't know if that is that it's that it's that the public is forgiving, or just that there are some folks who'd rather not, you know, when they're dealing with their heroes and their idols, they'd rather not hear that bad stuff. They want to block that out. And and I understand the specific. I mean, I'm I I'm still a big Ultimate Warrior fan. The, you know, the guy was my hero when I was a kid. I'm not naive about uh, awful all, all uh, the, the awful things he said and all the things that tainted his legacy. And frankly, I do that too. I just kind of, you know, you want to block it out. You want, you know, you don't want anything to kind of erase the the memory you have of of uh, one of your heroes. So um, WWE could could really benefit from that in terms of bringing back Hulk Hogan. So uh, I do think they they need to somehow address it. I think your idea about some kind of backstage, very controlled setting um, interview, uh, maybe sitting down with a Michael Cole, touching on it, not dwelling on it. But but showing real contrition, um, of that kind of thing, and then moving on from it and, and leaving it alone. I think that's the way to go. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Or I, or, I mean, if you really want to kind of play with fire a little bit and and, and get people heated and, and try to do a storyline, have them in the ring and, and get confronted by, you know, a, a, an angry black baby face. I, I don't I would know. Not do that. That's that. <laughs> I wouldn't. I I wouldn't do it in, in the corporate world we live in today. I'm thinking about the pro wrestling world where, if you want to have an angle, turn this into an angle. Make this be an angle. Uh, I mean, they would have done that in the 80s, 70s, and 80s, definitely 90s. Absolutely. You know, you, you'd have the nation of domination would be right out there and yeah. or whatever. Now, again, you know, it's not good for the woke Hogan, or the wokester, but. Um, <laughs> if, if they were to do something like that, at least, okay, we've got a commodity and he's got a, a, a luggage and we're going to address it and we're going to make money off of it and we're going to do something with it. I, that's even more palatable than what they did. Um, if it makes a storyline that, that makes sense and gets people vested in the product and gives a, a, a push to, to somebody who can work the program. You know, Apollo Creed comes up and, and, and I don't know, it's something. Uh, but um, certainly there's, that's touchy and thorny, but it's not the thorniest thing that's ever been done in a pro wrestling angle, uh, although it, it is something that's missing from the current landscape. But, yeah, yeah th- there's so many things that you could do, and uh, what they're doing right now is, is really just kind of so wishy-washy and milk toast that it's, it's, it's almost nothing. Yeah. Worse than well, that. they're not doing much. So, so we're, yeah. they're still figuring out their, what exactly their Hogan strategy is, and we'll see how uh, – how it unfolds. All right, Dan, I think we both got to run. Thank you so much. Uh, we'll, we'll, there's a lot more headlines that we haven't um, even touched on, so I think we'll hopefully be back sooner than later to talk about uh, everything else.
uh, Ring of Honor in New Japan and MSG and, and tons of other uh, headlines. And Impact, so, yeah. Yes, Impact, yeah, all that. So, all right, Dan, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Take care. All right, I want to thank Dan, as always, for his insights. And if you want uh, more of those insights, you can check out his book, Sisterhood of the Squared Circle, on Amazon.com. Uh, right now, as I mentioned, I uh, wanted to hear from uh, a guy who's been in the news quite a bit as of late. And uh, if you are a WWE fan, it sounds like there's a pretty good chance you'll be seeing more of him. Uh, it is independent sensation, Matt Riddle. Uh, I talked to Tom Lawler a bit about it. I wanted to ask you... Um, what the appeal is there? I know for a long time uh, you, you kind of saw it in the other direction. You saw a lot of pro wrestlers want to go into MMA, and, and you still see some of it. Uh, but, but why do you think we're seeing more and more MMA fighters cross over to pro wrestling? Uh, I really I, I couldn't answer that question, honestly. I know I did it, but, I mean, I grew up watching pro wrestling, so I get my only thing I could relate to is like maybe a lot of MMA fighters grew up watching pro wrestling, you know, find it entertaining, you know, always wanted to do it. And, you know, maybe they just feel like right now there's a good opportunity for it. Like there's almost like a resurgence in uh, the pro wrestling community, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think what some people are surprised of um, is thinking MMA fighters, uh, really want that that real competition, get that rush from a real fight. Surprised to see them get fulfillment and, and satisfaction from um, pro wrestling, which, which obviously is, is not real fighting and more performance than actual fighting. So for you, are they, the, the satisfaction you get from them, are they completely different or, or are there similarities? I think it's extremely similar, except for pro wrestling, you get to do it a lot more often. You know, I think all of us fight, you know, the people who do fight, yeah, you know, we like to fight one, we like to get in there and mix it up. But I think we also like to entertain crowds and get a crowd on their feet with exciting moves or a good fight or a good wrestling match. So I think for all of us, you know, we train so hard all the time for fights you only get to work like three times a year. But pro wrestling, you get to train and work hard, but you're also entertaining crowds maybe three, four times a week. Is there a downside to that, though, just because the schedule is so much more intense? Uh, you know, I'm talking to Tom Lawler, he talked about, well, uh, you know, the, the good part of only fighting a couple times a year and, and making a lot of money versus how much you have to hustle in pro wrestling, right? I think it really depends on your character. Uh, for me, like, I used to cut a lot of weight fighting, and I would train a lot even when I didn't have fights and et cetera, and I was really tired a lot of the time. You know, so I think just, like, my lifestyle now is a lot easier on my body, even though I do travel and work more often. Yeah, yeah. Another thing that I've, I wanted to explore is um, I think one of the cool things about seeing more and more MMA fighters and pro wrestling is that they bring a totally different kind of mindset as to what uh, offense can look like. You see a lot more uh, innovative uh, moves. You're not just kind of taking from the the existing uh, inventory of pro wrestling moves. You see uh, a lot more innovation. And, and I see a lot uh, with you and uh, a lot of moves and holds that you do that are clearly inspired by your MMA background, but but kind of adapted to pro wrestling. So uh, can you talk a bit about that? I mean, was that intentional on your part, drawing from, from your past? 
Yeah, you know, I'll be honest, when I got into pro wrestling, even when I grew up watching pro wrestling, I, I liked the more competitive professional wrestling, wrestling that was more believable. And, you know, as I grew up and I watched the UFC and I watched pro wrestling, I started fighting and, you know, all that. When I went into pro wrestling, I wanted to, I, I basically wanted it to be more like a fight. You know, of course, the bigger moments and bigger spots. And I feel like that's what I'm kind of trying to do now, you know. And I feel like you even see, like, uh, like movie fight scenes have changed from, like, the 80s or 70s to now. You know, just, like, in the way, like, there's, like, they use Muay Thai techniques and jiu-jitsu techniques and fight scenes in movies. Well, back in the day, like, you would see a guy literally hit, like, an Irish whip against a brick wall or, like, a vertical suplex. Yeah. You know, so like literally, like it doesn't just change in wrestling. I think it changes in Hollywood. It changes everywhere. And you know, I think guys like me, Tom, you know, Shana. There's a there's a pretty good amount of us now. Rhonda, of course, you know, that are doing it. And uh, I think we're just bringing a more real feel to professional wrestling. You know, yeah. not that the other stuff isn't good or exciting. And when done right, it's amazing. But, you know, I, I, at least for myself, I try to do it as believable as possible when I do do moves and I'm trying to be serious, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, in in the MMA circle, do you find that there's more acceptance of this? N- not just people, you know, fighters interested in pro wrestling, but accepting of other fighters that go into pro wrestling. Because I think for, for a long time, and, and there's still some of this, uh, you know, the, the MMA... Uh, fan base, passionate MMA uh, people, very down on pro wrestling. Oh, that fake stuff. You know, we see it a lot on like message boards and, and that kind of thing. Do you feel there's been um, a a change well, there? I'll, I'll tell you this. That's where you'll see that is message boards. You know, I don't know if the message boards will ever change because that's just where a lot of those people like to hang out. You know, it's no offense to people that like message boards. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but at the same time, it, I've been to events where, like, I was in Montana the other day, and there's a couple fans, there, and, like, the one fan was wearing a Keith Jardine t-shirt. He goes, bro, I came here because you're here. You used to fight in the UFC. This is, like, Missoula, Montana. There's, like, you know, there's not too many people there, and there's definitely nothing going on. And he was like, I want to, you know, I wanted to see what this was about. And by the end of the show, he was like, he was waiting to go back to another pro wrestling event. Mm. And, you know, and yeah, he he enjoyed my match, of course, but like he enjoyed the whole show. It was entertaining. People got loud. It's it, it's a good time, you know. I feel like people get caught up in this word fake, you know. Even you said it earlier, fake fighting. But you know, I don't consider it fake fighting. It's more like a performance or like. It's like you go to Circus or Money and you be like, oh, that's fake. They knew they were going to catch him. Yeah. And it's like, no, it's still a dangerous thing to do, and it's a show. And it's the same thing when you watch a movie and you see a stuntman do a stunt, you're like, wow, that's incredible. He does all of his own stunts. And it's like, brother, and you watch pro wrestling, dude's doing it in front of a live audience and doing his own stunts, and it's fake. <laughs> it just yeah. blows my mind. Is it, you know? it, is it hard, the uh, adapting to from from MMA where uh, 
I think it's fair to say you're trying to hurt your opponent, not like injure them, but you want to win the fight, right? Versus in pro wrestling where uh, a lot of the the artwork and, and kind of the, the whole magic behind it is protecting your opponent and not hurting them. So uh, what's the learning curve there? Was that, was that difficult? Well, I look at it like this. Like, I did a lot of sparring when I trained and I fought, and I did a lot of touch sparring. So I basically use as much speed as possible, but like try not to like kill my sparring partners. Mm-hmm. So just like tap them. So when it comes to that, it's really like for me the transition of like throwing strikes and not killing people wasn't too hard. But like one thing I noticed about wrestling is like. You can't hurt people. You don't want to hurt people. You work with people, and you want to be able to work every single day if you had to, you know, because the more you work, the more money you can make, and the less injuries you may have, the longer you can work. You know, it's just common sense. And you can still be very physical with people, and it's still very much a fight in the sense, like, I'm trying to win if I'm telling that story, you know, which is usually the case. It's a fight. It's a wrestling match. So a lot of the fighting does play a big part, but you just work with people, you know? It's almost like if you did a sparring session with, like, a training partner that was a little below you, you know? And I'm not saying the guys I wrestle are below me. I'm just saying it's like you take that into consideration. No injuries. We're working together. We're friends. I want to get better. You want to get better, you know? Yeah. So you still push each other. You want the people to get involved. You need to get physical, but yeah, no injuries, no yeah. no face shots. Right, sure. Um, and and it's fair to say you're you're one of the most talked about uh, guys in the independent scene. You know, on you're on everybody's short list of uh, future stars of this business, uh, even more than you are already. Um, talk a bit about that. I mean, what, what do you think is behind that? What, what are you bringing to the table that maybe is refreshing to people? You know, I just, I, I don't know. I really love pro wrestling. So, like, I think that helped. But uh, I don't know. It's something I've always wanted to do. And I've been doing it for a little while now. And it, it's definitely one of the hardest things I've done. But the biggest thing, like, anybody can do the moves and, like, go through the motions and do all that and run a spot, whatever. That's that's really not the difficult part, you know. The difficult part is, like, always connecting with people. And I think that's what I do well. I connect to people pretty well when that, I'm in the crowd or when I'm wrestling and stuff like that. Does that take a concerted effort or does it just come naturally to you? It comes natural in a natural setting at first, but now the more I've wrestled, because I've been around the world, wrestled a lot of places. I wrestle every week and a couple, like at least like three to four times a weekend usually. And at this point, it's it's something I've learned as well because you know it's something you just it doesn't come naturally. You can still like be charismatic and entertaining, but it's one thing to be that in front of like five people or your friends. And then that would be that for like a couple thousand people or a couple hundred people or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So when people talk about you, they always talk about WWE and what the prospects are. And, and again, you being on that short list of, of the future of, of this business, that's that's always what people go to is uh, if, when, you know, it, it happens. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? Do, do you see it as inevitable? Is it something maybe that you're not necessarily interested in? 
Oh, you know, I don't want to say inevitable. <laughs> you, just, you just never know. But, uh, I mean, it's very possible. It's highly likely. You know, it could definitely happen. You know, um, right now, I'm pretty content. I, I do very well in the independent scene. You know, I work every weekend. I kind of get to make my own schedule. So sometimes I, like, stack my schedules hard. And then I can have, like, a couple of weeks to myself, you know. Yeah. So it's uh, – I, I kind of like what I do right now. You know, it's, it, it's, it's up to me. So I mean, sometimes I double book myself, and that's a little <laughs> <laughs> upsetting. But uh, but other than that, you know, uh, I really like the position I'm in, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I get to travel. I get to wrestle the way I like to wrestle. And uh, and I think that's a, another reason why I'm in the situation I'm in is, you know, I choose where I work. I work with really good companies. And I, I try to make myself valuable, you know. So, you know, it's just one of those things. The the, uh, the flip side of that are are uh, any chance of returning to uh, MMA? When I talked to uh, Tom earlier in the week, uh, he's very much looking forward to going back uh, to UFC. Uh, I know his situation a little bit different uh, from yours. He he didn't necessarily want to take a break from UFC to begin with. Uh, but for you, is it something that you've completely put in the past? I, I've completely put it in the past. You know, I, I I'll tell you this. The other day I was watching, I think there was a UFC in Brazil, and I believe I, I was watching it. I was in Ireland. I just wrestled OTT. I wrestled Will Ospreay. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was watching the UFC. It was like 4 o'clock in the morning. I had a flight at like 6. And Leona Machida, former light heavyweight champion, oh, legend, fight with the fighting, Vitor. V- yep. fighting Vitor, another legend, in Brazil. So two Brazilians fighting in Brazil, both legends. This is amazing. As a fan, as a fighter myself, I was like, wow, you know, I'm going to watch this fight. This is awesome. Within a minute and a half of the first round, the crowd started booing Lieto mm-hmm. and Vito Belfort because they weren't slugging each other's faces off. And you know what? When I saw that, heard that, and I'm just like, this is the respect that these legends get. So he had rather not. Yeah. I just rather not deal with that. That's that doesn't seem no. Doesn't no not for me. I, it's it's not that I hate MMA. I love MMA. I love the sport. I love the fighters. But at this point, I just feel like the way it's being branded and everything, it's more just a blood sport. And people really don't care about the athletes as much as they used to, or if they ever did, because it was never promoted that way, except for like with pride and right. stuff. So right, and in, and in pro wrestling. Uh, listening to that crowd reaction and taking it in and and letting it guide you is everything. And uh, in MMA, I know in, in certain circumstances you've got to block that out, right? So when when you were uh, oh every fighting, time yeah, were you was that difficult for you when you were fighting? Yeah, when I was fighting, extremely difficult. I caught myself in multiple fights at the nights just because I'd rather hear the crowd roar or get behind me or them rather than just fight conservatively and get the W, yeah. you know? Yeah, that's uh, kind of a natural-born born pro wrestler <laughs> in that sense. Yeah, because yeah, I know you got to be able to tune them out. I mean, I was always fascinated hearing about uh, Matt Hamill, who's the deaf uh, UFC fighter, who 
talked about how that's the one thing advantage he always had on everybody else was he didn't hear the crowd and it, and it let him focus so yeah i gotta imagine that's incredibly distracting yeah uh, it can be especially when they're booing everything right. you're doing and yeah. you're just trying to win yeah yeah and then you deal with it in in the um the little promo after your fight right and now you get a chance to talk and sometimes over everybody's booze and stuff and you see fighters get rattled by it sometimes yeah uh oh, all right yeah. man. well this was a lot of fun thank you so much i don't want to take too much of your time this was a blast uh, certainly will will help a lot with this story and um if you're cool with it we'd love to use uh, portions of this audio on the uh, the pwi podcast definitely go for it bro yeah okay man fan your work thanks so much good luck in everything you do Thank you. You have a good day. All right, man. Bye, man.